Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Gen J Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Heffington, and this show is brought to you by your friends at Generation Joshua. As we travel around the country working with young leaders, we meet all sorts of amazing people who are working to change their corner of the world for the better. If you've ever been to one of our iGovern camps, you've probably heard from some of these people. But we thought that it would be awesome if we could sit down for some in-depth conversations and get their stories on the record so that we could share them with the greater Gen J community. This podcast is the culmination of that process, and we think that you're going to find these conversations encouraging and inspiring. So go ahead, pop in your headphones, connect to your Bluetooth speaker, whatever you got to do, and let's get into today's episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Gen J Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Heffington, and I'm here with uh, Joel Gruy and Jeremiah Lorig, Gen J's director and deputy director, uh, respectively, because the election was a couple a couple weeks ago now, and we're going to deconstruct it. We told you some about how we what goes into planning a student action team and some of the adventures we get into, but we've had... Uh, a lot of those adventures with a lot of you who might actually be listening right now. So we thought we'd take a minute and give you some stories from the campaign trail, give you some recaps on the stats and the impact that was made, uh, and just kind of talk about where we're at now. So without further ado, Joel, Jeremiah, thanks for being here. It's good to be here. It's a pleasure, Daniel. Thank you. Absolutely. Um, we all kind of dispersed uh, around the beginning of November, around election week, to different corners of the nation for the Gen J student action teams. For anybody who wasn't part of that or didn't listen to our, you know, previous episode about planning those, would one of you, Jeremiah, do you want to give us kind of, you know, elevator pitch? What's a student action team in the first place? A student action team is where you have a chance to change the course of history. I love it because what we do is we deploy teams of Generation Joshua volunteers to the closest political races around the country. And those volunteers knock on doors, make phone calls, do whatever is needed in those last crucial days of the election to swing uh, voters and get them out to vote. And that's that's what the whole purpose of the student action teams kind of revolves around is uh, that, that final get out the vote effort. So Gen J students, parents, like like who who was part of this for for this for this whole few you know how long was it like what was the whole plan yeah the, the whole plan oh my so basically what we, what we're talking about is uh, a, a project where we deploy teams of you know I think our smallest team this year was twenty our largest team was one hundred and twenty wow and uh, they they deployed uh, parents uh, students mostly students yep. parents and then uh, some of our adult uh, staff uh, helping manage Gen these J teams. leaders people yeah, exactly. who are kind of helping provide structure and some of our alumni strategy and some of our alumni. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, how many, I, I know some of this info, but you know, let's just not miss it. How many people did we deploy this year? Like, like 792 was 792. the final count on the ground after, you know, whatever, uh, stuff came up and that was the actual yeah. number of boots. Well, double that for number of boots, right? <laughs> but 792 yeah. people were out there uh, we'll doing it, we'll doors make a very and meaningful, and... dramatic documentary called 1400 Shoes. Oh, yeah, there we go. That totally, <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. But 792 people this year total in 14 locations, I think it was. 14 different teams? Uh, 13, 13 teams. 13 teams. There we go. Uh, one of which, our 13th team, is our first ever virtual student action team oh, wow, that we right. did for... Congresswoman-elect Young Kim in California. Her the COVID restrictions in her area were too uh, stringent for us to deploy a team yeah. on the ground. So what we decided to do was uh, help her from wherever we were. So I know you and a bunch of us That's were right. calling here in Virginia. We spent a late night. Oh, it was it was late because you know what's late in Virginia is early in California. But we we had calling people calling coast to coast, and uh, that was a squeaker. That that was one of the the very last races they called this yeah. cycle and uh, she she won and that's not our first time working with her either she was incredibly close at the last cycle and we actually did deploy a team to assist her um, and it didn't quite pull it didn't off quite do it uh, this did however and that's very satisfying that's that's great I was really excited I was following that from afar but yeah we we had we had Gen J students maybe some of the people listening they they were calling in and we, we all kind of had a zoom call and made a bunch of phone calls for for young kim out in california and 
she's going to be, she, she's part of a, and I think we'll talk more about this later, but she's part of a new batch of Congress women, female representatives of the House, who got elected on the Republican side in, in what was kind of a surprise for, for a lot of the predictions, but I don't want to, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. Um, but we got to come back to it. We got to come back cool to that. Story yeah, there's, there. there's a lot to talk about there. Yep. Um, but let's, let's go ahead. Uh, Jeremiah, can you give us some of the specifics on the locations? Like, like what some of the States we were in, you know, you, we talked about, we had large teams, small teams. Where else did we go? Yeah. So coast to coast, once again, we were in Arizona, Colorado, Florida, North Carolina, um, Virginia and Michigan. So we we were we were busy. Yeah, we were busy this yeah. year. Did you say Georgia in that? Oh, and Georgia. I went to Georgia, so that's why it's <laughs> on my mind. You know, yes. well, it's can't on for, everyone's can't mind for, right can't now. Forget Team Atlanta. <laughs> no, can't no. forget Team Atlanta and the Eagles Club. Oh yeah. Um. Yeah. No, that that was great. We 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 had a really. We had a lot of locations. I mean, I, I remember looking at our map of our teams when we were talking. You know, we'd have our strategy meetings or. or the directors would discuss, you know, what was going on. And we, we had a, a network out there. Um, so the big question on everybody's minds is what happened? What was the result of this? You know, we had um, 13, 13 teams with the virtual mm-hmm. team and, you know, se- uh, 792, you said, Joel? That's a huge correct. number. And that, if I'm correct, just just to give credit where credit's due – most of that was in no. Most of that was our election week deployments in November. Mm-hmm. But there are a few diehard people who did, if I'm correct, two early deployments. Is that correct, Jeremiah? Correct. There, there correct. were people who, uh, most uh, most people did at least one, or everybody yeah. did at least one. Yeah. Some people were pretty diehard and they did two. Yeah. But then we had some of our insane people <laughs> who were crazy good volunteers. They volunteered three weeks. Oh my God! Out of this cycle, they and were that in Montana, was, those were like in North Carolina, and somewhere else. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Those people deserve a, a badge or, or a star in the concrete or something. Yeah. Yes. We will one day we'll, we'll build oh, very that, nice uh, Christmas present. We'll something. build that walk of fame. Yeah, there, at our, yes, yes. At our at our, uh, at our new headquarters. You know, whenever whenever we uh, get. I think the, footprints are definitely the thing you go for for something like this. Yeah, there's been yeah. a lot of walking to make that's this happen. great. I like that. I like that. Very good. Um, awesome. So, did we win? Yeah. Was it successful? <laughs> oh yes, we did great. Uh, we we had we had 19 endorsed candidates that we deployed for this cycle, and uh, we have we have one still, uh, which is a runoff. Okay. Yep. Uh, in Georgia, that was the one you were on. I know it well. And uh, yeah, we'll have to come back and talk more about that. Yeah, let's let's do that. But uh, we we had um, seven wins. Uh, eight losses, and then the the uncalled uh, runoff uh, for this uh, in January. So it was. It's very. Uh, we, we we made a lot of impact. In fact, of of the races that we deployed for, four of them were within two percent. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, in terms of of um, re- final final results at the end. Wow. So That's... very close margins. Uh, seven were within five percent. Wow. Well, that's, that's why we go where we go. We go to the tightest spots. Yeah. As evidenced by. And that that's I know that's our strategy every year, but this seems to be the year of close election margins. Like like everybody's talking about close election ev- margins. Everyone's right talking now. about close elections. And what that was exciting to me. I mean, it was actually a source of a lot of stress to me <laughs> because that meant that everything took forever to call and you know, we we we, we still have questions out there. Um but that I use that. I know with my team a few times to, to just emphasize that like you're you're here for a reason and you're making a difference. And you know these votes that you that you get out could be that you know two percent that is going to flip this, especially in a race. You know, depending on the size of the race. Obviously, a statewide race, a little different than a more regional one. But that's that's fantastic. Um, do you guys have a favorite candidate? That, that we worked with. And, and Jeremiah, if you can feel free, tell, tell me your favorite or you can tell everybody a whole list of the candidates mm-hmm. we worked with. Because I know that the, the one thing I know about student action teams is everyone gets really familiar with the name of the candidate that they're campaigning for. Yep. They might not have any idea who else Gen J is supporting out there. So, so either you know, tell, me, tell me your favorite or, or tell us some of the highlights of our whole roster. 
Oh, uh, for sure. Uh, one, one of one of the candidates who lost in a very narrow margin. We contacted almost three hundred thousand uh, people in Michigan uh, supporting John James, who is running for Senate, and he lost by only 84,000 votes. Wow. And he was supposed to be destroyed, right? Yeah. The, the, the blue wave was supposed to, to keep him far yeah. away. There's a Democrat incumbent there who uh, d- does not support our values. So we, we uh, rallied behind John James and we put uh, real effort into it. And he came far closer than the peop- uh, than the experts were prognosticating mm-hmm. for a race like like his. So that, that was uh, one of them. And, and we also supported supported uh, three other candidates in Michigan as well. Well, we supported um, Paul Jung, um, uh, Peter Meyer, and Tim Mulberg, who we've supported many times. He's mm-hmm. a homeschool dad. So we had an all-star team uh, that we were working with up in Michigan. Love it. Uh, Georgia was your team. Yes. Kelly Leffler. She she is a rock star. She was uh, great. For only being in the Senate for a year, yeah. she has made waves, and she is uh, uh, phenomenal. She she did some uh, meetings with the Generation Joshua students, and she worked really hard to to earn yeah. their support there in Georgia. That that was something. I'll just you know I'll just brag on Senator Leffler for a minute because that was something that you know. Most of the people we work with, we try to pick like people who are who are deep down decent people, but they're you don't always you're not always besties with the person you're going to go campaign for. She made a real noticeable effort to connect with the students both preceding the deployment and during, and that that stood out. And I actually commented to her campaign staff because I was like, that's that's a, a level of intentionality that goes a long way when when you're you know giving feedback to your volunteers. And it also just, I think it, it strategically really boosted the, 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 the team's impact because they, they weren't just reading off a piece of literature. They were saying, I, I met, you know, I met with, I, know I met in, in, she's very, you know, she's not formal. So everyone calls her Kelly. And so they were like, I met with Kelly, you know, she was standing in the back of this pickup truck at this rally and they, they had the real stories and that's hard to, that's hard to, uh, gainsay if, you know, if you're talking is, to a voter, it it's is. like, okay, well. I can disagree with you, but I can't, I can't deny your story, you know? I think one of the things that's really neat about that in particular is you're talking to a senator, which considering the number of senators versus representatives, it's often a lot easier to get that sort of exposure with a representative. Right. Yeah. A senator, there's only 100, there's only two per state. Georgia's pretty populated. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff going on, and when anyone takes the time to sit down and meet with 10, 15, 20, 30 high school students— that tells me something about that person, what they find valuable, what they're willing yep. to invest in. And that's really cool. Absolutely. Do you Very want me to run through a few other states? Yeah, yeah, please. Keep going. Please I would love to. I uh, just had to take you know, a minute and talk oh, yeah. about I Kelly. Mean, the, the thing I love about bragging on these candidates is they're rock stars yeah. to us, right? These these are people who really have stepped up to make a difference. They are. Another yep. one is, uh, uh, in, let's move down to Florida real quick. Absolutely. Uh, Dan Webster, he, we've mm-hmm. supported him several times. He is uh, the guy who wrote the Florida homeschool laws back in the day. He's a homeschool dad who okay. got involved in politics, and he said, we need to make it easier for homeschoolers here in the state. So he he was uh, the the person who crafted that, and now all these years later he's in Congress. So uh, we were supporting Love him it. and Scott Franklin and Vienna Francois. Uh, she she's a newcomer into Orlando uh, um, politics. She did not win her election this time, but okay. I'm, I'm pretty sure that she's we haven't she's seen got, the last of her. Yeah, we're, we're, she's she's on she's on the road to, all right, to keep, make keep a an eye out for that name, Vienna exactly. Francois. Exactly. All right. Uh, another homeschool dad, actually two. We had two homeschool dads that we supported in Virginia, Daniel Gade, who ran for Senate, and right. Nick Freitas. Yes. And both of them are um, uh, ex-military. They, they're both heroes in their own right and uh, really um, uh, fought hard for values here in our own backyard. Yeah. So uh, great, great folks uh, on that side. And then uh, Joel uh, led a team in North Carolina who was uh, – that we were supporting uh, – uh, Senator Tom Tillis and Dan Forrest. Do, do you want to uh, elaborate any any on either sure. of these guys? I, I I know them both a little bit, Dan a little better, and I'm I, I'm disappointed that that race narrowly lost but did lose. He's had a habit of getting to work with one of our Gen J clubs there locally, uh, and has basically made them quite welcome in his role prior as Lieutenant Governor of North Carolina. In fact, 
it was not an uncommon occurrence for you to show up at the state capitol and smell barbecue. And that was coming from the roof of the state capitol where Dan had set up a grill and would invite a local club of high school students up to the top of the roof of the state capitol nice. to grill and do like burgers or brats or whatever it is nice. and talk politics with a bunch of high school students. And that's a lieutenant governor saying, sure, I'd love to chat with you. That's really cool. Um, so it, it was neat to see to see him on the ballot. And, and he's had a long history of working really hard and working with uh, homeschool students, Gen J kids, et cetera. And it's been really neat to see. So that was cool. The other one that actually is, um, this wasn't a candidate that we endorsed, but it was in the in the North Carolina race we're working on. Um, a guy named Paul Newby was running for the North Carolina State Supreme Court. Okay. okay. Um, right. That's they elected. Ele- yeah, they right. elect- Not every state does that, right? Okay. Lifelong Virginian here. I've, I've actually, even pre, pre-working at Gen J, I was involved with a campaign for a judge, again, down in Georgia, actually. Yep. It's weird when they elect judges. Except in most places they do. Right. Ironically. Right. But, but, but here's the cool I'm, thing about you know. this guy. This guy's a homeschool dad. Oh, okay. Neat. Who's now also, at least to the best of my knowledge, the first sitting Supreme Court justice in any of the states that is a homeschool dad. I could be wrong on that. I haven't done the research. But that was something that was really neat to see was uh, seeing that. That race came down to a difference of, I think... 184 votes out of about 400,000. Wow. Um, and that was in the area we were working on, too. Now, I don't think we were carrying his lit, but it was, it was, uh, he has a reputation of working and investing yeah. in those same homeschool community of kids uh, that we were working with there in North Carolina. And that was pretty neat to see. Speaking That's, of close elections, uh, you also were working with Senator Tillis of course. to advance Senator Tillis on the ballot. And he won by 94 thousand votes while your team and others in in north carolina contacted over a million voters in north carolina that's insane so i i know that we had an impact so on that we're, race. we're not we're not you know, we, we, we're not we're not going to say we're the only reason he won but when you contact 10 times the margin of victory in the week that you're there, you're that does something. That does yes, something. Yes. No, we were definitely a factor that was an important one. And I think if you take it away, the thing about elections is really it's the art of addition. You put all these pieces together right. and it gets you over the finish line. Right. The it's a problem, coalition. It's a coalition. The problem is you take any one of those away and you fall short. Right. And so it was really cool to see how all of those pieces came into play and got us over the finish line there. Yeah. And that race took a long time to call because it was that close and there were that many voters. And yeah. actually that's been the story of the 2020 elections is how long does it take to call stuff? Some of them still aren't done. Yeah. But my, my, my siblings were on one of our North Carolina teams and my dad was as well. And they had a fantastic time and they were texting me. We were, we were, we, you know, days after the whole thing wrapped up, we're still waiting on that final call on the Tillis race. It took so that's long. who they were, you know, been working so for. And they were, they were so, so excited when I it texted went. out the parents once they finally called it yeah. and people celebrating, but it was like a week and a half later, they're like, Oh my word, it's finally done. They were, but they were thrilled to see the, the positive outcome, which is, I think what everyone expected the night of when they were looking at the numbers. Yeah. But then it just dragged. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, the numbers elsewhere, election night numbers changed a lot. So yeah, they did. Yeah. Well, yeah, especially did. when you're uh, watching and you have to wait for the West Coast ones, right. which I haven't, I'll get yeah. to the West Coast candidates in a second. Yeah. But uh, we, we had our elections kind of winding down, you know, around 11, 12, mm-hmm. you know, maybe one in the morning yep. for what was happening on the East Coast. And then that's when they were just starting to report yep. things on the West Coast. Yep. I, I sent... I think I sent my my students to bed at like three thirty, two thirty or three or something on okay, election don't night. Tell me that. <laughs> no, no, no. It, I, it was all it was all good. I made a plan with the parents. And I was like, "This is this is where we'll watch results, and I'll stay up late with whoever right. wants to." But at three o'clock, I'm like, "Okay, fine, go to bed." I go to bed. <laughs> go We're not going to know tonight. Yeah. We're not going to know tomorrow with this rate. Now and, yeah. right, and right, right, eight o'clock tomorrow. Exactly. Morning. And you have a flight oh. to catch or <laughs> a drive to make, whatever that yeah. happens to be. Yeah, we we had um, uh, some great teams out west that I don't I don't want to forget in this analysis. We had uh, Senator Gardner who has spoken right. to our I governed campers before, and mm-hmm. uh, he he's uh, been a stalwart in Washington D.C. and yep. uh, we we were supporting him. And then uh, Tiffany Shedd, homeschool mom in uh, Arizona, 
and uh, Steve Danes, who spoke at our Future of America conference, mm-hmm. and uh, he, he has such wonderful things to say about Generation Joshua, and we, we uh, deployed early for him, which helped give him some of that momentum to get him up uh, over the over the hill there That's in Montana. Montana. Yeah. Yep. yep. And then uh, the, the last one is the one we already talked about, Young Kim in California. Yep. So it, it was a great lineup of candidates this year. Very, very proud of the candidates and the way they ran, and then, of course, our teams and yep. the way that they uh, rallied around them and, yep. and uh, pushed many of them over, the, over the, the victory line. I love that. One thing that was actually really poignant for me, because we were involved with a lot of Senate campaigns. It was a big Senate year. You know, it, was it was a big, a big, Senate, a big year. Senate year. And thinking about some of the, some of the senators that we were supporting – it was it was an interesting election with a lot of contributing factors. It's coronavirus. There's the the Trump administration. There's all the stuff that's you know contributing to to turnout and all this. But I think that some of our senators, especially a couple of the ones who had a hard uh, a struggle with their election, I was thinking it was you know maybe I'm maybe I'm uh, making it too too grandiose or something. I've I've been known to do that. But a lot of these people had just voted in a key. Supreme Court decision, mm-hmm. or or a key a key you know impact to the Supreme Court to to confirm Justice Amy Coney Barrett, and I was it was interesting. I was watching some of the polls, and the people who were mad about that sometimes their 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 chances for winning took a a big hit after they did what I believe was the right thing to confirm this justice. And so for any of those senators who didn't get reelected, I, I, maybe I will, maybe I should, I, I want to like write them a letter and be like, Hey, you, you did, so, you left a mark before, before, you know, you got out, even if you paid the price for it from somebody who attacked you for that. You know? we, and and yeah. Senator Gardner would be an example of that. Yeah. Everybody was saying, that you know, Colorado was going to be a Democrat yeah. um, state, may, maybe, you know, People thought that he was going to be the the vote on the Republican yep. side that uh, didn't go along with um, with the nomination. Right. But he he came out uh, early on and said, "No, I'm going to stand on my principles. Yeah. I'm going to I'm going to vote for her confirmation." Yeah. And I th- I think that uh, it, without that uh, declaration early on yeah. and his willingness to stick with it, there th- that whole Supreme Court um, process. Yeah nomination process would have been very, very different. But I, 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 I talked with people agree. on the ground in Colorado. I, I, um, I'm from there, so I was paying very close yep. attention. And he, uh, like I said, he was quick to step out and take yep. that leadership. And I, it may have cost him the election. Yeah. But he, he did what I think is right. Yeah. Well, and I don't, think, I don't think he honestly, with what I know of him, could have done anything else. Mm. Uh, Jeremiah mentioned earlier, these are rock stars. We're not looking for people... We're going to to waffle in the hard spot. We're looking for people to make principled, um, careful, thoughtful decisions. And right. he's done that before. So although it definitely could have changed the outcome of the race, I, I think I think it matches his character that yep. he performed the way he did and made the decisions he did. And that's something to be admired. It is. It definitely is. Especially in today's Today's political climate, that's that's so true. getting rarer. Um, all right. I wanna I wanna switch gears in just a moment, but before we do that, I would love to give all of us a chance to tell yeah, you know, we've said that every time, you know, most of us on our student action teams we do story time in the evening and, sure. and let the kids or the parents you know tell what crazy stuff happened to them that day. I wanna give us the same thing. Now that we've just done a fresh round of it. What are your new stories? We told stories last time we did a sure, discussion sure. about student action teams with the two of you and, and me. But now, like, what just happened that's now going in your memory uh, log for later? Well, I had, I had two that I thought were particularly interesting. Um, the first one is an unintentional violation of the rules, which is always uh, an interesting moment. One of the rules, for example, when you're campaigning is that you don't go in someone's house, right? right, right. That's a standard safety rule, and it's in play in all of our campaigns. Um, that rule was in play in my campaign, and I think every other time but this one was followed quite carefully. However, in this case, we had a young lady who was going up to knock on a door and um, had had knocked on the door, stepped back like they're supposed to because COVID and distance and all that, right? And then no one answered the door. And so she's like, fine, okay. So she goes back up the steps because like one of those one, two steps onto the porch sure, and there's the yeah. door to hang the literature on the door. And as she does that... 
The door opens. Okay. And she trips on the stairs oh, and no. manages to face plant into the, the front oh, entryway no. of the house. So this guy opens the door as this 15-year-old girl comes crashing into his oh, no. kind of uh, front hallway. And it's one of those where everything kind of stopped for a second. What do you do? Yeah. She, and he's, he's like, she's like, I'm sorry. And he's like, are you okay? And she's like, yeah, no, she was fine. Kind of jumped <laughs> up. He's like... Can I help you since you've been inside my house? <laughs> and she's like, well, I'm here. And then she kind of did her whole pitch. And he's like, she's like, would you like some information? He's like, it's the least I can do. You've already managed That's to crash amazing. into my house. Oh my Worked gosh. out great. Great conversation. But it was kind of a funny moment where she was mortified, embarrassed, but also managed to have enough presence of mind yeah. to take advantage of the opportunity that created yeah. uh, to share what she was there she for, the which was cool. She, she definitely got the sympathy <laughs> vote. The other thing I had that I thought was pretty cool. As I think I've set the record now, at least for my teams, of having the oldest volunteer on a student action team. Oh, wow. Which is interesting because Gen J is high school students. We're not normally hitting right, records for the oldest person. It's yeah. not. It's not. But we had, a, we had a young girl coming, and her parents couldn't come on the team. Okay. And so mom and dad were like, we need someone to come. And so she really wanted to go. So she went hunting to find someone, and her grandma said she would come. Okay. Okay. We've had grandmas on teams before. Grandmas and grandpas occasionally will come. I, I, I actually had to ask her, and I, I said, I feel really bad, but I'm just curious. Um, she was making a comment about how she'd seen crazy elections before, and uh -huh. she had referenced a fairly old race. And so yeah. I, I asked her, I said, this is incredibly impolite, but without looking at my records, how old are you? And she goes, well... I celebrated my 75th birthday already. We'll leave it at that. And I said, okay. <laughs> I love so that. I'm like 75 years old yeah. or older. That's yeah. remarkable. You're out there doing what is traditionally considered a young person's job right. as far as this like lots of running and walking and phone right. making. And yeah. she was out there doing the rest of it. She wasn't. So I asked her, like, are you driving the van? She's like, no, no, we'll leave that for someone better. I'm doing doors. <laughs> and I'm like, what? She goes, oh, yeah, I'm out there. And her team, she was working just as hard as the high school students and occasionally kind of edging them on because when grandma's working hard, Harder than you are, you got to up your game. That's right. And she was out there with her granddaughter, and so then I asked her, "I'm like, okay, you're she's enthusiastically engaged. Yeah, you've done this before." She's like, "Nope, never done anything like this before. I vote, and that's all I've ever done." But my grandma, my grandmother thought it was important. My granddaughter thought it was important enough for me to do it. That's incredible. So I'm coming too. So okay. you can be a young leader and and help lead your generation, and then even sometimes your parents' generation, like two generations back, yeah, to get involved. She'd never done anything like that in seventy five years. She'd never Love done that. it, wow. but her granddaughter cared enough that she said it was worth her caring about. That was pretty awesome. That's fantastic, Jeremiah. Do you have any stories that, that stick out? Yeah, uh, I, I, two things come to mind. One is uh, we had a team in. Arizona and they met the candidate and she was so enthusiastic to meet them. And she, she was talking to them and she said, you know, guys, I've been endorsed by a lot of people as I'm running for Congress here. Yep. But as a homeschool mom, the only endorsement that made me cry was the endorsement from Generation Joshua and HSLDA. Wow. Because you're my people. And I, that, that, I love that story because it reminds me that there are real people who are running for office and they, they need support. They need human support from their community and the homeschool community really responded to, to support her there. Uh, another another uh, tender moment was uh, on Sunday and with COVID and you know all the restrictions and everything, it, it, we weren't going to be able to find a church on my student action team. So uh, what we did is uh, one, of the, uh, one of the guys on the team, he's the worship pastor or leader for his church, and uh, he said, hey, if you can get me a guitar, I can, I nice. can uh, lead worship. And so we put together a service. We, I, I texted a, a, a Gen J uh, family in the area. They, yeah. they said, yeah, we'll get you a guitar. Nice. They, they, uh, we, we, we pulled it together, and it was, it was really neat to see how it all came together from different uh, traditions and uh, perspectives, but all yeah. coming together to worship Jesus That's together really cool. in that in that uh, that space. That that hotel ballroom became holy ground for those uh, hour and a, for that hour and a half, That's and beautiful. it was a it was a great moment. Very cool. Having church on Sunday that was a really interesting series of stories. Yeah, that because. Was this wasn't normal. No, it wasn't. And there's a no. lot of places. I, I, I'm going to add one more story because I had a particularly poignant moment with a mom where we were looking at church on Sunday. And we, we did find a church we could meet in person. And 
uh, major props and thanks to this church. They actually took their their youth ministry room and converted it into a private church service for us where like oh, wow. they did the service and then they brought people down from their worship band and did music for us and it was literally oh just us in our own room and they did that with 40 minutes of notice Wow! and that was 130 people it was spectacular but what I found particularly interesting is that one of the moms was like she was almost in tears and she's like this was beautiful this is the first time I've been able to be in church in months and I'm realizing oh yeah like, we can get back into church here where we are, but there's still places in the country where that's not a thing. Mm-hmm. And she was incredibly touched. And it was just a very sweet moment. And with a church that kind of got surprised and then reacted and reacted really well, even in a ta- challenging moment, yeah. they benefited someone who hadn't been able to be in fellowship with the body corporately on a Sunday in months. And she needed it. And it was a beautiful thing. That's really cool. That's awesome. Anyway, not politics, I'll, I'll, but really I'll, awesome. I'll balance... Uh, I'll balance out the the serious heartfeltness with a couple of funny stories from my team. We had um, one one we, we do phone banking in the evenings, like many mm-hmm. many teams do, where we're calling voters. And I had a great a great group of people on my team. My team the whole team skewed young, so there was a lot there was a lot of well. So my first story of them is actually just kind of a brag on them. They consistently stayed first place of of doors per person for doors knocked per person out of basically all the teams in the nation. And this team skewed, like, we had a lot of 11-year-olds. We had a lot of 12-year-olds. We had some 7-year-olds. Like, 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 you know, and we had some older teenagers, but, like, they pulled their weight in then some. So I was super proud of them. That's but awesome. But one, one, one of our young guys was phone banking one evening, and he got, you know, one of those interesting callers that, that <laughs> always makes it a little special. And the guy... Uh, he kind of gives the campaign pitch, and then the guy's like, "Okay, I'll think about it." But I have a question: Do you are you going to heaven? And the kid was like, "I, yes," <laughs> and <laughs> like, hopefully not this moment, but yes. <laughs> Eventually, that is the plan. Right, yeah. that's the plan. That's the idea. And the guy's like, "How? How do you know?" And he was like, uh, "I love Jesus." And he kind of like you know, gave like a I'm a Christian, right, yeah. <laughs> right, right. And the guy was like, "Okay." Well, can I pray for you? And which not not a bad request, but kind of a strange one for like the campaign volunteer after you've like after you've like you know grilled them to see if they're Christian. He goes on. He was obviously a strange, kind of a strange character. He goes on to pray for what he thought he was talking to was this young girl. (laughs) Oh, that gets awkward. (laughs) That she would have a wonderful life, and that (laughs) she would. Meet friends who would be a supportive and loving community as she grew as a young lady. And <laughs> <laughs> well, other than the awkward moment there, that's hilarious and awesome at it's, the same time. It's hilarious. And and it was a very – like the kid was just like – I was really proud of him. He just kind of like took it and was like, all right, thanks. Have a good day. <laughs> I'm so, not sure what the right reaction to that is. I, don't, but. I have no idea, but I, it did make it in my in my memory. Oh, yeah. Um, that was hilarious. All right, so before we talk about some other broader election things, uh, we kind of hinted at this before, but what, have we closed the book on, on elections this year? Like, no. Like are we, no. Are, SATs are done, right? Or no, 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 no. See, there's this thing. And the 2020 elections are running like the rest of 2020. In this case, it's late. Yeah. Um, we know that races haven't been weird. called, right? Or weird. But weird is a better way of putting it. And so we're going to be doing 2020 elections in 2021. <laughs> Barely 2021, but 2021. Jeremiah, do you want to tell us what, what's coming next? Uh, well, uh, there's a new election day, uh, one that's going to determine the future of what our government is going to look like for the yeah. next two years, and that is January 5th. On January 5th, uh, Georgia is going to have a runoff election, and there are two uh, two sets of senators yep. or, or two two sets of candidates, Republican and Democrat, two, yep. two Republicans, two Democrats, who uh, are uncalled. You yep. know, it's going to be determined during the runoff, and uh, that that's going to determine who is going to control the Senate. Yeah. If if uh, Biden is um, uh, certified and you know everything, and the House of Representatives is going to stay Democrat, uh, then uh, the the only place that will not be in 
Democrat control is going to be the Senate. Right. And so uh, if we're going to have a divided government, which uh, usually is um, more stable, you you may not always like all the policies that come out of a divided government, but it is um, more stable because neither uh, neither side can control it. They can't ramrod their agenda through. Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. So uh, all the eyes of the nation are on Georgia, yep. because if if uh, if the Democrats who are running down there are elected, we're likely to see policies like the Green New Deal yep. um, and related uh, mm-hmm. projects yeah. uh, become uh, priorities for the Biden administration. Yeah. If the Republicans are elected down there, we're going to see a I think a different angle on the Biden administration yes. yeah, that will be. Um, uh, much more restrained. It also has to be more collaborative. They're gonna, they'll have to get Republican yeah. support to be able to get stuff through, and that makes it different. The, and the, it, of course, the other thing that uh, is on everyone's mind. You mentioned earlier the the courts. Right. Uh, the the Senate does choose or does approve does uh, d- does that process yeah. of confirmation for judges. And so uh, what we're going to see out of a Biden administration, if the Democrats control the Senate, yep. is going to be a lot of probably more on the activist end right. of judges. Right. Whereas if the Republicans control the Senate, we're, we're likely to see a more centrist yeah. uh, batch of judges. This, this is something that's really interesting to talk about. Well, first of all, let's just – we'll jump into kind of 2020 aftermath national state of the nation politics. But uh, first thing, if you want to be involved with the runoff in January, we're sending teams. We're, we're, we are. We're, we're doing a student action team. So you can sign up. You can we're go teams. to www.genj.us slash SAT, the same link as always, and you can sign up. If you've done it and you're ready for another round, do it. If you missed out in November and October because of life – well, what are you doing New Year's? Um, New Year's Day, not New Year's Eve. That's a song. Um, <laughs> we're going to be down there in in Georgia. And I just got back from Georgia, like I said. It's a great place. It's a great place to campaign. One of the warmer places you can campaign in January. True. It's still going to be cold. Like, like they get. I was shocked. They were telling me about, like, the foot of snow they got a while back. I did remember that, and but that like, made news, national news no, no, for a reason. That was the three inches of snow. That <laughs> shut down the entire highway system. That was when Atlanta This stopped. was the foot of snow where, like, no one in the state, like, left their house for, like, a week. <laughs> um, wow. But, but the, the, the weird thing for the people who were not in Georgia with me, and just to, if you weren't paying attention already, they've got two senators up. That's the reason we're in, we're in two runoffs right now. That's why the balance of power has not been determined for the Senate. Correct. They had crazy set of circumstances where a senator uh, was not able to fulfill their term because of health reasons. Then the governor appointed Kelly Leffler and then she had to re uh, she had to run to get, you know, to keep her seat for the remainder of the term this election. Mm-hmm. She was going to be going into a runoff for sure because they had like 17. They ought to have almost 20 candidates on the ballot, yep. not just write-ins, on the ballot for her race. So she was definitely headed to a runoff. The surprise was that Senator David Perdue, who a lot of people thought w- was going to be safe, went to a runoff as well. Yeah. And he'd lost about, it was like 0.5 of a, it was like half of a percent that he right. lost by or something crazy. It's about 14,000 votes last yeah. count I saw. And he's ahead of the challenger. Yeah. But in Georgia, you have to clear 50%. Right. And hence, it automatically triggers the runoff because right. third party and other things yep. that come into play. So yep. in both cases, both Senate seats are going to a runoff. And with the current balance of power in the Senate as 50R, yeah. 48D, if both of those go D, that's a tie. Yep. One of them goes R, the majority. Yep. And, it, and again, if there's a tie, the vice president breaks it. And in a Biden administration, that is a Democrat control of the Senate. Correct. Um, all right. That's great. So sign up for the SAT if you want to get involved. Now let's talk about the aftermath of the election. <laughs> um, there's a lot to talk about, including I do want to I, I, I want to talk about this. This we'll just do this first. You know, we're talking about it. Looks like a, consensus seems to be growing that 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 we're we're in for a Biden administration. There's a lot of uh, drama related to that, and I want to talk about that in a moment. Um, there's there's plenty of controversy, but you know, say say that. That on uh, inauguration day in January, Joe Biden's sworn in as the president of the United States. Hmm? I think the Senate will determine, and Jeremiah, you're hinting at this a minute ago, determine the the tenor of the Biden presidency. Because Joe Biden has a track record. This is actually, he got sandbagged for this by the left wing of his party. But he has a track record 
of bipartisanship in some ways, kind of the mm-hmm. old school, more Centrist collaborative, yeah. like still he's, he's, he's no, a Democrat. Yeah. He's, he's no, uh, he's no like centrist on policy, but he has a little bit of that like instit- institutionalist. He's you know, a politician. He's, he's a, a politician. classic old school politician right. who right. makes deals and gets things done. Right. He, he he's makes not like his vice president. She's an activist. Yeah, she, right. she is um, definitely a new wave yes. of Democrat senator. Yep. But Biden himself, that's his reputation. And, you know, historically, he's been panned by the far left of his yeah. party for not being uh, of that I'm just I'm just shocked, uh, uh, you know. And this has just been my personal little like jaw drop that I'm still picking my job off the floor. Is that in the in the Democrat primary, Kamala Harris, who now was his running mate and is now going to be his vice president, probably like spent an entire debate raking him over the coals for being racist, for being sexist, for being possibly or in her opinion likely a a harasser of some kind. Mm -hmm. And then it was just kind of like, oh, we're okay. What's the phrase? Politics makes strange bedfellows. Yeah. 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 Every once in a while you're like, well, that's an interesting reversal. Or, or, or forgetful memories. Um, uh, that too. That too. But anyways. The that, politicians tend to like that in the voter, in the electorate more than in themselves. But yes. Right. But that's the thing is with Joe Biden, if he has, in a sense, the excuse of a Republican controlled Senate, I think he would tend to chart a slightly more moderate course than any of the, the more activist wing of his party. I think you're if, correct. If he doesn't have that, though. It, then he's going to be getting intense amounts of pressure from the left wing, from the squad, from everybody else sure. to, to run, to, to pack the courts, to, you know, to, to, sure. to do the stuff that maybe left to himself he wouldn't do on his own gumption, you know, on now, his own initiative. And there's a second factor that comes into play to that, because I think you're right in the general tenor of how Biden approaches this. But the other issue that needs to be brought up is that the Democratic majority in the House shrank by a fair bit. It really did. We, it At least by so 11. It wasn't a blue wave, was it? No, no, the tide went the other direction. It didn't It didn't leave, but, it's, but it definitely was going down, not up the beach. I heard a, a very distraught kind of debrief phone call with some of the Democrat strategists and candidates, and somebody was like, this wasn't a blue wave. It wasn't even a blue ripple. <laughs> wow. <I'm> like, <laughs> that's actually true. It, it was more of a sucking sound. It didn't actually <laughs> yeah. drain, but it went down. And, and In fact, so the Republicans, I think, Jeremiah, correct me if I'm wrong, but every single... Republican running for re-election won. Correct. correct? That's correct. And then we've then we gained ground, at least uh, on on the right. Yeah. What's really interesting with that is that, and some of those were fairly um, um, advocate partisan uh, people that yeah. lost seats. Yeah. And and what it did is people. Uh, Essentially, the margin the Democrats had in the House to pursue aggressive policy work shrank because when you have a broad party, this is true on either side, it doesn't matter, and you pursue something that's considered more extreme, um, there will be moderates on either side that say, I can't vote for that and step away. But as long as you have a big enough margin, that's okay. You You can can still push it through. You can drop a moderate. But once once that bell curve starts shrinking, you can't lose as many. Particularly if some of those people that you lost were on the on the far left side, mm-hmm. um, those moderates keep dropping off. You don't have as many votes to counterbalance that, and all of a sudden you can't put that bill through. So it ends up creating a moderating effect on the legislative policy right. for the House. Not to mention if the Senate is in Republican hands, and it can even moderate the individuals. It can even take a more a more activist person and moderate them because they're thinking, I don't want to be the next my friend who <laughs> who just lost their seat because they were a little extreme. Representative Spanberger that was running up against mm-hmm. Nick Friedis yeah, would she, be an excellent she, example of someone very much concerned. She had some choice language for her for her fellow uh, Democrats and, and, and the liberals. Speaker of the House. Yeah. And she, Which we can't repeat on this podcast. No, we, we can't repeat on this podcast. I, did, I won't read that quote. Um, but she had some, some very, you know, strong words for for the the left wing, you know, the, the furthest left wing of her party. Yes. And actually, well, I want to talk about the presidency in a minute, but you know, we're talking about this kind of blue wave congressional thing. I had a I, I heard a quote. It was part of a monologue from a comedian, talk show host, whatever you want to call him, uh, provocateur Bill Maher, who is no. He's no conservative. No conservative. He's no rather liberal. friend of the right. Let's no, put it that yeah, way. That, that, he he yes. has called some horrible names and you know made fun of some people who I really respect. And you know, he's kind of been a 
sometimes a jerk to people on the right. Bit of a bomb thrower. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But he gave this, what I thought was actually a rather fantastic uh, monologue about the, you know, kind of against the extreme, the, the, the cancel culture, the woke, you know, the, the, the wokesters, the, the, the people on the kind of the far left who, who are throwing out the radical stuff we see. And his direct quote is, Democrats kept saying in the campaign, you can't possibly think Trump is preferable to what we're selling. And many voters kept saying, yes, we can. In fact, our primary purpose for voting for him is to create a bulwark against you because your side thinks silence is violence and looting is not. Well, that's telling. I, I, I was um, thinking about this the other day, and one of the things that really struck me is while Trump lost the election yeah. uh, in a landslide or with the popular vote um, yeah. and close margins for the Electoral College. Yeah. But regardless, the rejection of Trump was not a rejection of conservative principles true. or even the Republican Party. Right. When we, ha- we, we, we saw this last election, um, Republicans gained one governorship yep. um, mm-hmm. over where they were. They gained several seats in the House over where they were. And uh, the, the overall um, results seem to indicate that a lot of people may have voted against Trump, but they voted for Republican principles. Yeah. And so I, you know, I, for whatever reasons are people are in that position, yep. I think what that's telling us is if nothing else, the, the American people are not excited about a presidential candidate like Joe Biden, who ran on the most radical left uh, um, platform mm-hmm. that we've yep. seen. This this um, embracing of socialism and the Green New Deal and and several of those those big ideas that yep. seem to be motivating the base of the Democrat Party yep. are not being embraced at large right. across the nation. Yeah. And so I, I think uh, people should look beyond the the headlines yeah. and say and realize that uh, what what the election or the people are saying is not that they want socialism. Right. It's that Trump was not um, acceptable, acceptable for them, for, them right. for whatever reason, but they, but the, the bigger principles at play still uh, matter. I mean, they, we, you mentioned we took, uh, the Republicans gained a governor uh, seat. Uh, at least at the last count, they were plus 11 for gains in the House, and that number keeps going up with the number of uncalled that we're still waiting on. Yep. And they got two state legislators, uh, legislative chambers. Now, the reason okay, that yeah. matters, um, because right now, of the state legislative chambers in the country, 61 of them are controlled by the Republicans, and 37 are controlled by the Democrats. The okay. Republicans yep. hold two-to-one majority of the state legislative chambers in, our, yep. in, in the country. Now, why does that matter? Well, for the Republicans, it really matters because those legislative chambers tend to control redistricting. Mm-hmm. The census that just came through for 2020, if you remember that from before COVID, that they were or, yeah. getting everyone to fill stuff out. I remember filling out, uh, well, my yeah. wife Abigail filled out our form. But yeah, I did, my, I did mine it. online. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but that resets which House representatives go where, and then they draw those district lines every, every 10 years or so. Yep. That comes from there, and those state legislative chambers hold that. The Democrats poured money into a series of state races Mm -hmm. to try and get them, and they didn't really gain ground. In fact, by the numbers, they lost ground. That's a huge deal. It's not being talked about, but the long-term ramifications for that will last for at least a decade. makes the midterms very interesting. It does. It does. Because the the 2022 midterms will be, I believe, the first time we're looking at a redistricted map. Is that correct? That would be... How long does it take before that redistricting it, works it its way out? It kind of depends on the depends on the state. A few factors. Okay, yeah. but we'll start seeing the impact of that flowing out over time, yeah. and that will last for about ten years before it gets reset again. Yeah, that's a huge deal, and I don't think anyone's paying attention to it. I mean, they know it, but we're not thinking about that uh, yeah. right now. No, I, I think I think that's that's super interesting, and definitely, I think a cause you know, a cause for conservatives to hope because. I think for a lot of conservatives, there was this kind of like feeling of, okay, I, I don't know that there was a, a – in, in, in the minds of many conservatives who, you know, let's be honest, if you're a conservative, more likely that you tend to vote Republican than that you tend to vote Democrat. And I know a lot of my conservative friends who were voting for Trump, you know, because they were thinking Biden is this, you know, really 
extreme agenda, like Jeremiah is saying, one of the most liberal, you know, left-wing agendas we've seen in a national presidential candidate, a nominee. Um, but in some ways, if Trump was going to lose, I think this is possibly one of the few outcomes that give that turns out to be like like the the most hopeful situation for people who are on the right to say okay well if you're going to if you're going to drop Trump out of the equation let's be honest there's you know some people aren't going to aren't going to complain about that even on the right as far as the representative the you know, the standard bearer for the for the principles of conservatism or something but then to see that it wasn't a wholesale rejection of of conservative principles and in fact it might have been a bit of a a course correction saying okay no we 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 we're, we're not going to defund the police we're not going to you know radicalize or, or you know racialize everything that's happening in our in our communities mm-hmm. like like cancel culture is not how we want to live yeah yeah looting is not what we want to be as a norm right right we do believe that that freedom matters in due even, process in due process and, you know, even in a pandemic and yeah. we understand that that's a hard thing to work through yeah. but it matters yeah yeah that's very much so. and that, that's I find that a source of great encouragement and comfort uh, I, looking at this. I, I do as well. In the last few minutes we have, can we talk for a minute about the the elephant in the room, <laughs> or I maybe you the mean donkey? Trump. <laughs> <laughs> um, like oh Democrats, Republicans. Yeah, um, there's that. The uh, the the elephant in the room of the 2020 presidential race. Yep. Um, election night happened. Way too close to call. Numbers came out. You know, since then, Joe Biden was announced by every major news or well, most major news organizations. Has Real Clear called it yet? Real Clear Politics. I, they kind of wait for like a super long time. Yeah, um, I don't but, think so. But, but most of the most of the major organizations have have long since called it as a Biden victory. But if you've been paying attention, Donald Trump, President Trump, is not there yet. No, he's uh, not. if you look at Twitter, if you look at anything like that, he's not there. And and we've you know, and, and people I respect you know are not there either. And, and personally, my own personal view is the election's not over till everything's certified. And and you know, I think that there's a healthy process to be had with that. But that's why we have that process, right, actually. Right. But yep. what we're dealing with right now are claims of you know, the Democrats stole the election, or on the flip side. Donald Trump is a dictator attempting a coup. I saw an article, I think it was from Vox Media, and I was like, I, I just, I couldn't even. The, 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 <laughs> the, the headline was basically, if this was happening in any other country in the world, we would call it exactly what it is, a dictator attempting, like, almost successful in a coup. Having been in countries where those are things. Yeah. No. No, let's I not wanted go to there. like. I wanted to like take someone on a little field trip to you know Cuba, a few other countries. Take someone on yeah. a little field trip to you know Venezuela, and be like, "Excuse me, a lawsuit after a peaceful, free election where Is everyone who wanted no. to, you know, w- was using their voice and and maybe you know flipped an administration, and and you're talking about maybe some tweets and some some court challenges, and yeah. that's a coup. No. Excuse me." Daniel, you could save money, though. What you could do is just grab those people, go down to Miami, talk to the Cuban-Americans that are down there, yeah. and they'll tell you about yeah. it. And and they, speaking of which, they told us about it in the election. That was a that yeah. was a thing that became a big part of, of part of the surprise was the um, advances in uh, the Latino community yep. um, and some of the different Hispanic communities for conservatives, yep. uh, which was not the way that was expected to and go. One of the many pieces not, of polling that went wrong. And you're totally right about the Cuban community down in Florida particularly being particularly motivated, it seemed, uh, to, to vote conservative. But that was not isolated to only Cuban-Americans. It was not. That, there were advances in the Latino community across the board. And I was actually seeing a newscast on election night where they were like, oh, wow, the Latino vote in Florida is uh, more Republican than we expected. And, you know, what's, what's that going And And then there was some, you know, the spin people from, from, from the Democrats coming on and saying, well, basically, what would sound like kind of incorrect or, or, or potentially offensive if it was coming from somebody on the right. But they were basically like, well, remember, those are Cuban Latinos. They, are, they don't speak for the rest of the Latinos. They're, they're, like, like, they're like, we're, you know, we're, th- those, those ones are special. They're from Cuba. And you can't expect to see that across the country. And I'm like, I think these are 
humans who are voting about the principles they believe in. And <laughs> and, and just to, to chime in a little bit, the statistics are fascinating. Now, th- with this election being uh, uh, largely remote and mail-in, yeah. uh, the, the actual statistic gathering, the, the exit polling is going to take a long time to For finalize. Sure. Yeah. But yeah. the initial reports that we're seeing is across the board, Trump performed Interestingly, not something that most people would predict, he performed better amongst almost every minority category yep. out there. Yep. Uh, he he lo- uh, the the area that he lost was actually with white voters, white men in particular. Uh, uh, white women was a larger awesome. uh, margin, I believe. But may- maybe that's I'm interesting. Wrong. I saw a different report, but yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, the, the, the for somebody who's supposed to be racist and sexist, if you listen to the mainstream narratives, it's interesting. The gains are being made in those ca- in those categories. And my point is, it's across the board. If it, you know, the the demographics are normal to say that Cubans Cuban Americans vote um, for Republicans, but it was across the different Latino communities, yeah. including um, uh, out west, where mm-hmm. there's very few um, uh, Cuban Americans. So yeah. we're talking Arizona and New Mexico. Yeah. Those areas are. Um, seemingly reporting similar margins. So the the bottom line is that this election has uh, been very unique in the span of the last several decades in terms of the results, in terms of the accounting, in terms of mail-in voting, all these different strange pieces that will take a long time for um, final final data to to percolate to the surface. But I think it's uh, interesting for... um, uh, note in the moment that what people were predicting as a big blue wave yeah. did not happen, and it was not because of um, because of an uprise in uh, support for Democrats amongst minority communities. Right. In fact, we see the opposite yeah. uh, reflected in uh, the exit polling that we've seen so far. And I think a lot of that, you know, though we post mortem for ad nauseum, but. I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of that, in in many cases, boils down to to the extreme left that we were talking about earlier, where it's like, I you know, I'm I you know maybe I'm not a super political person, but I'm not going. I I don't like socialism. Maybe not a super political person, but like, I have I value my family. I I value the the you know the the traditions. I value things that a couple years ago were just American values. Barack Obama could have run on them. Sure. And now it seems like... They're not okay. They're, they're not okay. Um, all right. Final kind of question, and not to leave the, the hardest, toughest one for last, but when you have the president, you know, tweeting out fraud and stealing, and I clearly won, and you know, all this, Yep. and you have the media saying, how dare you question election results? How dare you enter... T- how dare you wonder if voter fraud happens somewhere? And yep. you're like, wait a minute, um... Okay, we know that Donald Trump, his Twitter is is inflammatory quite often. Yes, we also know that if you're if you're for the media to say, don't don't worry your little head about it. Trust us, we we've we've got this right. I think my initial reaction, I know what I think for a lot of other people, possibly even stronger, is so. Then where was the you know Donald Trump losing by thirty percent that all of your polls were that all of your polls were suggesting a two days before the election, and, and we're just supposed to trust that you have the handle on it. So, you know, how do we navigate these waters? How do we, how do we... There's there's something that I... Well, there's, there's two things. The first is it's very hard for most people to give a lot of credibility to the media who are saying the elections are fraud-free and everything's going right. to be great when four years ago they were saying the exact opposite. <laughs> right. right. Russia so, and... Yeah, Russia's involvement and yeah. election tampering and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it's very difficult to um, put a lot of trust in what the media is saying right now. And what I've kind of... Sl- uh, found where I found myself kind of centered is at a place where I know that uh, Trump's actions are much more reliable than his words. Right. Uh, his words are 
um, usually at um, shooting from the hip and you know saying what comes to mind. Right. And so uh, what he's saying right now on Twitter and about the election, um, I, I don't put a lot of stock in. Right. Um, but the same is true with the media. The media has lost so much credibility yeah. with me. It's almost at the point where when they say something, I'm I'm wondering is this a Babylon B article or is this real? You know, and they have almost the same credibility. And uh, in the end, uh, what I what I think is uh, important in the next few days, uh, I, I saw a um, headline from I think it was the Wall Street Journal, which tends to to lean Republican. Uh, they 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 said, hey, Mr. President, it's time for you to show whatever evidence you have. If you, if, if you have something that's really solid for these yeah. lawsuits, show it to us now. Yeah. Otherwise we we're, we're going to stop listening right. uh, to the bluster. And so I, that's kind of where I feel at this moment. I don't trust the media. I don't think that they're um, right in telling him to shut up. Yeah. But I also think that if he doesn't have something that he's willing to show us soon, right. then I'm, I'm not going to hold my breath for it. I feel I feel very similarly, and and I I love what you're saying about it's it's an interesting high horse to choose from from not only the Russia you know the the, the our elections were you know stolen by Russia last time, but even to suggest that you know Trump himself or or Republicans or conservatives not instantly accepting the results of the election are like tantamount to advocating for some type of a you know uh, takeover some type of a takeover or a coup. It's like have you accepted the election results in the past four years? There's plenty you know, of people not that didn't. Not my president? Yeah, Do you remember that? not like, my president was a huge right. thing amongst yeah. a large swath of the population. And I, you know, I haven't seen it yet. Maybe there will be some people on the right who uh, take take up that mantra. Yeah. But what we're seeing from most of the leaders on the right, including people high up in, in the administration, they're saying, well, we're, we're not saying that Biden has won the election. Right. But if he does then there will be a smooth transition of power because that's what we do in America. Of course. Ever since the election of 1800 that proved that America was different yeah. because in the election of 1800, we had a president, John Adams, who did not want to leave. Yep. Before that, we had uh, George Washington. When he left, he wanted to leave. John Adams did right. not want to leave. He fought a hard election against Thomas Jefferson. They mm-hmm. they were not um, happy with each other. You think yep. that the 2020 yeah. or the 2020 uh, the 2016 elections were were um, spicy, and spicy bitter. and crazy? Yeah. yeah. No. Look at the election of 1800. It was a rough, rough election. But in the end, John Adams, as grumpy as he was, left and handed power over to his a political enemy because that's what we do in America. Yep. And that is something that we have two, 200 years of, of um, proof in the pudding there. And, and I, I think that America's foundations are stronger than what a lot of people are worrying about when they're looking at this election and they're like, oh, the end is nigh, the end and, is nigh, the end is And it was all built over. for this. This is not an Correct. anomaly. This is not a – this is not like the Category 5 hurricane that America was only built to withstand a Category 3. It's like it Actually, was built for this. We, If you have a question about fraud, we have a court system. Why do you think we have a court system? Why do you think we have the, the, the recourse that we have? And Trump's lawsuits, you know, I, I agree. They haven't so far been very substantial and it seems like they're withdrawing as, as, many, as, they're, as many as they're adding. But – who cares? Uh, in my perspective, I'm like, I don't want to see frivolous stuff. And, and if I was the candidate, you look silly if you act like I've got a big lawsuit and then you have nothing. Correct. But if what you're doing is going to court. Seeking justice. Seeking justice. Our quintessentially American how view. Quint- how, how, how horrible. What, what a, you know, what a dictator thing to do is to go let a judge. You know, a dictator doesn't go to court. A dictator closes the door brings in the army surrounds the castle and By refuses force. to leave like like that's not like, what this is that's not what's happening donald trump is hiring rudy giuliani to go to court and work on whatever they think they've got fine and i'm Let like them do it. that's not a coup it is not it is not you might now if and yes let's be honest if he's making if somebody's making it all up and it's all a bunch of nothing does that help your legacy no. Not at all. But you just it doesn't make you a dictator either. But it doesn't make you a dictator either. You just become you just lose a court case after you lost an election. Right. Adds insult to injury, 
But it doesn't turn you into a villain. But it also doesn't harm the nation. Right. Right. No, I think that's something that I think needs to be kept in mind is that we, and you, you made this comment earlier, Daniel, I thought it was particularly insightful. We built a system to absorb this. We have courts. We have an electoral college. Yeah. We have an entire system of processing elections that is decentralized uh, by county. Yeah. Then there's the state level of, of checks and quality checks and attorney generals and state courts. Then there's the federal level of that. There's the nomination process uh, for the electors, the, the electoral um, review process. I was at the electoral college vote mm-hmm. uh, for Trump uh, four years ago. It was remarkable just to see the process that they yep. go through. And there were even challenges to the validity of that vote at that point from the left, not sure. the right, on the floor. And I watched at that point you Vice mean- President Biden gavel down his own party to say, I'm sorry, you lost, get over it. But he didn't and say they were peacefully transfer power. No, he just told them to stop talking because they were getting annoying and he kept right. repeating themselves. That being said, <laughs> I, I watched Joe Biden peacefully transfer power to Donald Trump. Yeah. That is a remarkable thing. And that should be a thing that continues. That being said, Legal recourse for for fraud or error or, or problems is important. We saw one race. It was a local county race, but we saw one local race in Michigan get flipped last week. Mm-hmm. And after the speeches were made of, I lost, I'm sorry, I won, right. congrats. And then the register had to call and say, I'm sorry, actually, we double counted a handful of ballots and the actual results are the other way around. Yeah. And so they had to do that. And we saw stuff in Georgia where I think... 2,000 votes were found. One set was double counted and they had to reduce those. The other set was a set of votes on a flash drive that hadn't been counted. And this canvassing is finding that. Do I think our election has no errors ever? No, there are errors. And we have a process to find those errors and deal with them. Do I think someone's stealing the election? No, I don't think someone's stealing the election either. But I do think if there's issues, we sort those out. That builds integrity and faith in the process, and that's a good thing. Because unfortunately, like any other aspect of our government, it tends to be run by humans. Mm -hmm. And humans make mistakes. And so we build processes to find those mistakes, correct those mistakes, and move forward so we can move forward with confidence. Assuming something is just perfect and never taking a second look at it is foolishness on either side, no matter what you do. But it's also foolish to scream that something's wrong when someone said, I'd like to take a second look at it. There's at least one county commissioner in Michigan who's very glad they did because he thought he'd lost. That is a healthy process. We also have a timeline. Understand November is not – the election day of November is not the date we pick the president. It's when we vote. The process goes from then until Inauguration Day. And there's yep. a bunch of gateways and checks in that system that, frankly, no one looks at most of the time. Right. And because we don't need to most right. of the time. It's but they're there for clear. reasons. And this is one of those moments where the water rose and you're really glad you've got a levy. Yep. And you look at it and say, okay, it's doing what it's supposed to. And yep. I can be comfortable with that. Yep. Even when I don't normal, I don't like the water that high and I don't like seeing that, we built a system to deal with those sorts of, of risks. Yeah. And that's good and wise. It's also one of the reasons why I still really like the Electoral College, because it's designed to help shield us against those sorts of things. So, You're here. I think that's an amazing place to end. And while the crazies on both the the left and the right have been exasperating me recently, those moments, those realizations of America, Mm -hmm. the system that was was built, the system that we've been blessed to inherit, Mm -hmm. I've found myself deeply thankful for it in the recent weeks. And realizing, yes, today's moment might feel particularly divisive, but it's actually withstood a lot more than that. We've been here before. We've made it through. We'll make it through this one, too. All right. Well, guys, Jeremiah, thank you. Joel, thank you. I think this is a great place to wrap up. Until next time, we'll talk to you later. Hey, friends, if you enjoyed today's episode of the Gen J podcast, go ahead and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, most of the other major podcast sites and apps. Uh, If you really liked the show, go ahead and leave us a five-star rating and a review, uh, hopefully a good review to help other people find it. Uh, This is really helpful when we're starting out with a new show to help people connect with the podcast who are already listening to similar podcasts. We would love to stay in touch with you, so shoot us an email at info at or follow us at Generation Joshua on Instagram and Facebook. We will be back soon with another episode.